Hi, my name is Mina. Welcome to Kids Talk Church History, a one-of-a-kind podcast where kids investigate the history of the church. Over 2,000 years ago, Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Has he kept his promise? How has Jesus built and preserved his church against all odds? Come with us on a trip through history to find the answer here on Kids Talk Church History. Christians started to sing about the birth of Christ from the earliest centuries after his death. Actually, we even have Christmas songs or Advent songs, even in the Old Testament. And the first Christmas or Advent song in the New Testament was the answer of Mary to the angel. Then we have the song of Zechariah, the wonderful chorus of angels at Jesus's birth, and the song of Simeon at the temple. But Christians continued to sing about that amazing event. In the past episodes, we've talked about Christmas songs written by Ephraim in the fourth century. Today, we want to explore a few more. I'm Emma. I'm 16, and I live in Raleigh, North Carolina. And I'm Christian. I'm 14, and I live in Charleston, South Carolina. And I'm Grace. I'm 11, and I live in Raleigh, North Carolina. When I looked up early Christmas hymns, the earliest one I could find that we still sing today is Of the Father's Love Begun. It's actually one of my very favorite Christmas hymns. I love the tune, the words, everything. The words were written in the fourth century by Aurelius Prudentis Clemens, a Spanish poet and lawyer. He actually didn't start writing poetry until the age of 57. We usually just call him Prudentis today. Oh, yes, it's in our hymnal, right? Yeah. So Prudentis wrote the original in Latin, of course. It starts out with corde nautus ex parentis. I think that's born of the heart of the father. I like that it includes the word heart. It feels very personal and it's a lovely turn of phrase. We're actually going to post the Latin words on our website for any of you who are studying Latin. I also like that from the first line, we learned that Jesus was begotten, not made. That's right out of the Nicene Creed we recite in church. Yeah, so this was actually part of a longer poem for people who believed that Jesus was not truly God. So Prudentis wrote it. Um, I don't know if he originally wrote it as a song, but he wrote it to these people to show them the truth of who Jesus really is. But the tune that we use today is fairly ancient as well, but not quite as old. Um, It's from the 12th century, and I've read that it is supposed to be a plain song or a chant. And we're going to ask our expert to explain those words later. As you might know... Uh, this song goes, of the Father's love begotten, ere the worlds began to be. He is Alpha and Omega, he the source, the ending, he of the things that are that have been and that future years shall see evermore and evermore. Why was I the only one singing? Well, that's the first verse. So now, you know, it it reminds me of the beginning of the gospel of John. Yeah. I love hymns with such a rich, biblically rooted message. No, Rudolph. A song about Rudolph is certainly not a hymn. A song for fun, maybe. But if I have to sing a Christmas song for fun, I really like, you know, Jingle Bells, Jingle Bell Rock, all that, all that fun stuff. I really like I Want a Hippopotamus for Christmas. That's a really fun one. So actually, there are some fun medieval Christmas songs, too. I heard a cheerful one called What Cheer? It goes, uh, lift up your hearts and be glad in Christ's birth, the angel bade. Say to each other, if any be sad, what cheer? Good cheer. Be merry and glad this good new year. I'm not going to sing that one because I don't know the tune because it's medieval. But there you go. I've heard that there is another famous hymn that was written during the Middle Ages. So come on, come Emmanuel. I think it, it was from the 11th century. It's also full of biblical references. O come on, come Emmanuel and ransom captive Israel is talking about Jesus giving his life as a ransom for people who are prisoners of sin. It's pretty deep. 
I wonder what people think when it plays in supermarkets. I don't know if they're really playing it in supermarkets much anymore, but yes, I'm sure that many people today don't even know that the Bible calls Jesus Emmanuel, meaning God with us. Fun fact, Emmanuel is actually my name. I just go by Emma since it's shorter. Anyway, there is so much more to say, but we'd better leave room for our expert, Dr. No, not Dr. Reverend Jonathan Landry Cruz, pastor at Community Presbyterian Church in Kalamazoo, Michigan, and author of many books. Reverend Cruz, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Uh, thank you all for having me. I am not an expert, nor am I a doctor, but one day I hope to be a doctor. Um, I don't think I'll ever be an expert, but either way, I'm glad to talk about him with you guys since I love them so much. I feel like if you're a doctor, that's like that, that's that's the official title of experts. But you know. OK, well, I have two more classes to take and then I'm supposed to be called one. So we'll see. There you go. You're basically all the way there. So you heard our short introduction. Is there anything you would like to add or correct or anything like that? Uh, no, I'm certainly not going to add my own singing of any of the, the hymns. Emma, you did a wonderful job. Thank you. Um, you guys, I think. I think we'll we'll see how the conversation goes, but it seems like you guys know <laughs> more about medieval hymnody than I do. So, um, no, I have nothing to add at this point. So I know there were great other medieval hymns for Advent and Christmas, but I don't think they are as common today. For example, Ambrose has an Advent hymn, Veni Redemptor Gentium, that is translated, Come Thou Redeemer of the Earth. I've actually listened to that one and it's very good, but it's not really super common. So I've heard... Uh, is there a reason why these are not super popular anymore? Yeah, good question. Um, and that is a very pretty, pretty hymn. Um, uh, Winnie Redemptor Gentium, come thou redeemer of the earth. You can look it up online and, and read the text is beautiful. But at least from what I found, um, it only shows up in about five hymnals that are still in use today. Um, so what makes a, a hymn popular or a hymn stick is somewhat of a mystery, and not just from the medieval time, but even still today. So, you know, the greatest hymn texts out there, even combined with the greatest tunes, sometimes are only known to the composer and the author. <laughs> so there's something about being in the right place at the right time to get a hymn out there. Um, also, generally, if a hymn makes it into a hymnal even one time, the chances that it'll get picked up in other hymnals is, is high. But um, I don't think there's anything about that hymn in particular that would say, oh, they don't we don't sing it today because it's too hard or it's too confusing or it's um, unbiblical. Um, it's just kind of uh, how how things work. But um, another thing that makes hymnals or hymns popular is word of mouth. So, you know, Emma, if you really like that hymn, you should start telling people about it and uh, ask your pastors to start using it in their in your church services. And um, then maybe we can start singing it more often. There you go. Have the Ambrose hymn revival. Um, and I That's think right. that might be in the on our website for any listeners who, who want to bring about the Ambrose Advent hymn revival in their own churches. So I'm curious how many medieval hymns have survived to modern times um, and which, like, which ones have like survived but haven't been translated to English. And yeah, just how what what are what's the modern hymn scene like today? Yeah. Uh, so if we're asking how many have survived, I would probably say almost all of them have survived in some form or another. Um, if we're asking, though, how many are sung today? Very few. Uh, it's definitely a very small percentage of those that we still have. Um, I would guess this is really just a guess. But if you take a at least 
like a hymnal like the one we use at my church, which is the Trinity Psalter hymnal, or a hymnal like it, maybe the Trinity hymnal. Um, but hymns, hymnals that are interested in the wide expression of Christian hymnody from the earliest days even up to today, you'd probably get maybe less than 25 hymns that are from the medieval period. Um, and that, that might be a bit of a, a high estimate. But but there are, we still do sing a number of them, and a lot of them people don't even realize are that old. So you mentioned the Father's Love Begotten, um, All Creatures of Our God and King is a medieval hymn, Be Thou My Vision was written um, in the 8th century, O Sacred Head Now Wounded was written by Bernard of Clairvaux, and, and sometimes people have other hymns of his in the hymnal, um, All Glory, Loud, and Honor is a popular Palm Sunday hymn. So there there are still there are still a lot of really some of our favorite hymns people don't realize are actually from the medieval era and then christmas ones too so in addition to uh, the father's love begotten we have let all mortal flesh keep silence you mentioned o come o come emmanuel another one would be lo how rose air blooming uh less lesser known as savior of the nations come uh, i have to check again i think that might also be ambrose um and then it'll come all you faithful. So there's, yeah, there's a good handful, about a half dozen of, of regularly sung Christmas or Advent hymns are from the medieval era. Right. What makes medieval hymns unique other than, of course, the time when they were written? Like what specifically about medieval hymns makes them medieval hymns? Yeah. Um, well, some things that we we should really appreciate about medieval hymns is that they are, and this isn't only true of medieval hymns, but um, they are certainly word-centered they're word-based in terms of the word of god um they're they're trying to communicate the truths of the scriptures so a lot of them are are just kind of riffing on passages in the bible like um let all mortal flesh keep silence that's uh that is from the um uh, the minor prophets that line comes up in uh zechariah for example and then um, Lo How Rose Air Blooming is taking imagery from Isaiah and Jeremiah about the um, the branch that will come from the or the shoot that will come from the stump of Jesse. So they're definitely they're definitely trying to get the Bible into people's uh, hearts and in their minds. Um, another thing is that um, a lot of these medieval hymns focus on the nature of the person of christ or the second person of the trinity his deity especially um so there's songs about the mystery and the marvel of the incarnation specifically of course that is the heartbeat of the christmas season we're talking about the incarnation but there it has a lot of implications and a lot of our songs explore those implications um in terms of how that brings salvation for god's people but medieval hymns focus on the person of christ himself and I think part of that is has to do with church history, what, what the church was dealing with at that time. A lot of these hymns are combating heresy about, you know, Christology and things like that and the nature of the Trinity. Uh, that's what they were dealing with back then. And so that's why those hymns focus on that. Of the Father's Love Begotten is supposed to be a plain song or chant. What do those words mean? Um, yeah, so plain song or plain chant are, they're kind of synonyms. They mean the same thing. and that's that's talking about church music really for the majority of the early church up to like the um 800s the 900s um before 
poly, um, polyphony was introduced into music and that that idea is of polyphony is talking about having multiple melodies at once um, not just one melody but um, several that are added on top of each other and when we get that we call it harmony so if you think about a normal hymn you look at it and there's usually four notes for every syllable of text and that's for the sopranos altos tenors bass right people who have different ranges in their voice they sing those but up up till that time uh, people sung in unison they all sang the same note and they did it in a way that we wouldn't really recognize the meter or the rhythm was kind of freer so they didn't have time signatures and um it was kind of up to the interpretation of the singer or uh the presenter the one who was leading the singing and so that's what we call plain song or plain chant this it's this unison and because it kind of has this um free flowing up and downy kind up uppy and downy kind of uh uh rhythm to it lilt to it they call it a chant it's like a chant um, and it would sound strange to us today. Um, also, there would be no no instrumental accompaniment too. So it was all just a cappella. Uh, very pretty, but kind of um, kind of otherworldly. Kind of has a creepy, eerie feel to it. You have just finished a book on Christmas carols. When will that be published? Yeah, thanks for asking, um, Christian. It won't be published soon enough. That's how I always feel about my books um takes the the process takes a long time so the idea is that i yeah i complete the book back in the spring but it will come out for next christmas so even though it's been done for it'll be done for a long time it won't come out till 2024 um probably in the, the fall of 2024 are the carols in your book in chronological order and also what's the focus of your book so my book is called um I got to think, what is my book called? Thing <laughs> uh, in Exaltation. That's what it's called. Now, which of you guys know what hymn that comes from? What Christmas carol that comes from? You say it again. Thing in Exaltation. Oh, man. That's so familiar. I just can't remember. Yeah, it's right it's there. Just it's just on, on the, the tip, tip of my tongue. Of I just can't think of it. Oh, come all you faithful. Um, oh, of course. Oh, Christian was going to say it. I saw him. He was about uh, to say it. Yeah, you got it. You get the points, Christian. Don't worry. So the book's called uh, Sing an Exaltation. And what it does is it's a devotional for Christmas time, Advent, where each day I take a verse from a Christmas carol and I explain its biblical or theological significance. And I do that not in chronological order, but actually in the order of the, the biblical story. So for example, the very first one on December 1st is a line from Joy to the World. Here, I gave that one away for you. Or it says, no more let uh, sins or sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. And we start there because that's a reference back to the curse of sin in Genesis 3. So the book starts where the Bible starts, and then it traces the story of redemption through the, um, the great carols of our faith and how they point to various passages like, um, you know, let all mortal flesh keep silence coming from the minor prophets or... Um, Risen with healing in his wings is a line from another Christmas hymn where if somebody wants to shout it out, I'll give you a second, but it comes from Malachi. So as we get to Malachi in the Bible, that's where we use that, that hymn in the book. Anybody know Risen with healing in his wings? Oh, this is a fun game. That's, that's from um, 
the glory one. Oh man, I can't think of the name, right? <laughs> the glory one. That one's from Hark the Herald Angels. Oh, uh, yes. Yeah. Oh, so, yeah. Again, so, right on the tip of my tongue. <laughs> so, so the idea is then by the by the end of the book when you get to day 25 that you'll have a better understanding of uh these Christmas carols that we all know so well, we recognize, we know the lines, but maybe we don't know the biblical story that's behind them. So, um often most a lot of these well, a lot, all of the uh, medieval hymns that we've talked about have been translated. Um, and yeah. one that I can think of is Good Christian Men Rejoice. It originally in Latin starts with in dolce jubilo, in sweet rejoicing, but they had to change it to Good Christian Men Rejoice. So did they change it? And with all of the hymns, do they change for the meter um, or just because they think they it sounds better? Um, do you like how people translate these hymns or would you change them? I, well, in that one in particular, I don't, I don't mind it. Um, I'm, I'm not a Latin expert, so unless somebody points it out, I probably wouldn't know if there's a deficiency in the translation. Um, but yeah, translation is both an art and a science because you want to be faithful to the original language. But if you're bringing it out to be sung, uh, you, there needs to be artistry to it. So it needs to be memorable. It needs to generally meet, you know, uh, match a meter and have, um, uh, you know, go with the with a particular tune. A lot of times they want it to match the same tune that it was sung to in the original language, and that can be hard to do. And that's that's the case here with the indulci jubilo uh, or Christian men rejoice. They what was just almost just as well known and well loved as the text was that tune, which also comes from uh, the medieval time. And so that tune was really popular. Uh, um, Bach, the, the great uh, classical composer, had made it popular by writing a couple of different pieces, both for choral and for organ. So um, the translator there, a man named John Mason Neal, was trying to write something that could go with that tune. People really liked the tune. Um, and so I think he did a fine job. There is another, I'm sure there are others, but at least one other one that I know of that's out there of an English translation. But what it does is it also, it kind of goes back and forth between English and uh, Latin, which is a, so the the German, Bach is German, right? So um, that tune became popular in Germany and the um, the hymn was translated out of Latin into German first. And so the German people really liked it, but their, their original version of this would go from German to Latin, German to Latin. That's called uh, macaronic uh, poetry where it uses two languages. And so we do it in uh, angels we have heard on high and then we sing Gloria in Excelsis Deo. But in uh, this other English version where it's English Latin, English Latin, the Latin phrases are a lot more complex than Gloria in Excelsis Deo, which I think most people can figure out what that means. And so I like the version we have because it's all in English and I think it makes it better to be sung in a congregational setting. What's your favorite Christmas carol? Hmm. My favorite is probably Hark the Herald Angels Sing. Well, not probably, definitely. It's definitely hard. Well, yeah, I, but I have a second favorite. I have that. And then a close second is one called Thou Who Was Rich Beyond All Splendor. Have you guys ever heard that one? Oh, yeah. I'm getting nods. Good. That's a good okay. one. That is a really good one. So that one's much newer. That one was written by somebody in the 1900s. Um, but I, I think Hark the Herald Angels thing is, is one of the best, um, most theologically rich 
Christmas carols that we have. You've also written some hymns. Did you write any Christmas hymns? Yeah, Grace. So I um, actually just wrote my very first Christmas carol last year. I found that the incarnation is such a big topic that I, I was kind of scared to approach it. But after writing for about 10 years, I finally took a stab. So I do have one and it's called In the Manger. And it's a hymn that talks about looking into the manger, as it were, and seeing instead of a, the little baby there, what Jesus became for his people as a prophet, priest, and king. And so, um, and then I have a composer friend set it to music, and you can find it on YouTube if you want. Just type in In the Manger. Um, and Josh Bowder, B-A-U-D-E-R, is the composer for that. And uh, he's a Minneapolis-based composer, and he did a really good job bringing out the um, the the marvelous mystery of the incarnation in the music. I think you guys will like it. This conversation was all very interesting, but now we just have two questions that we ask all of our guests. Number okay. one, how did you become interested in hymnody? And two, if you can meet anyone from the Middle Ages, who would it be? Um, okay, so how did I become interested in hymnody? I grew up listening to hymns. My parents would play them. On the way, on Sunday, getting ready for church, and on the way to church, we'd listen in the car to hymns, and then I got interested in writing hymnody in college. I went to a church where they were big on hymnody, and they even composed some of their own for the congregation, and I met the music director there, and he had written with a lot of really well-known um, pastors and theologians, and he, he befriended me and kind of mentored me, and he said, you know, if you keep working on hymn writing, if you ever write one that's good enough, I'll put music to it. So that was an inspiration for me to get better at it. And um, that's what started my love for, for hymnody, or at least writing hymnody. Um, and then the last question, Christian, it was if I could, what was it again? If you can meet anyone from the Middle Ages, who would it be? From the, from the Middle Ages? Oh, boy. Well, I hope they are coming to me. I don't have to go back to them because I like my running water and being able to charge my iPhone. But if I could bring them to me, um, I know he's kind of right on the cusp of what we call the Middle Ages, but I would say Augustine, if that's allowed, maybe, you know, I think he might have been a generation before, but if we could squeeze him in, I think it would be wonderful to meet Augustine. And if not Augustine, then maybe Thomas Aquinas. So those are two theologians that I would love to learn more from. And uh, But like I said, only if they're coming to me. I don't want to go to them. Maybe you're meeting in a mysterious third place. Well, yeah, exactly. Reverend Cruz, we are so thankful you decided to spend this time with us. Um, sorry that we were not very good at your hymn guessing game. So this time we have a special. You'll be better, you'll be better for next year. <laughs> Indeed. So this time we have a special book to give away to our listeners. The History of Christmas, 2000 Years of Faith, Fable, and Festivity by Heather Lefebvre. It looks like a pretty cool book. I'm a fan of the title. So to enter the drawing, you can find the link on our website, kidstalkchurchhistory.org. While, while you're there, you'll also find past episodes, special news, recommended readings, and more. And if you would consider making a donation to support the work of the Alliance of, of Confessing Evangelicals and podcasts like this one, we'd really appreciate it. In partnership with the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals and on behalf of my co-hosts, Christian and Grace, I am Emma. Thank you for listening to Kids Talk Church History. 